Hey everybody. Hey everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to, to our, our Odd Pod, Pod podcast. podcast. A podcast dedicated to the odd, the macabre, and everything else in between. And everything in between, it's me again, Billy Bones. <laughs> <laughs> no is, relation. Is this Felicia? Felicia what? Beignet. Felicia Bones. Big nets. Big nets. Um, <laughs> how do we start a podcast off again? I forgot. I think we did pretty fucking good. Okay. We nailed it. <laughs> You're welcome. Thanks. No, I'm talking to the listeners. Oh. You're welcome for the entertainment. It's stupid late for me. Wink, wink. Wink, wink. I'm it's... just going to be winking at you guys throughout the whole podcast, so I just okay. want you to imagine it in your mind. And just be so uberly jealous that... I get to watch it. He looks like he's having a seizure right now. Um, you can stop now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, frantic blinking at the at the host. Not helpful. I'll write that down in my how to do a podcast notebook. Yeah, uh, it's uh, thank you. Excuse me. Stupid late right now for me. It is pretty late for you. I just woke up. Like, what time is it? 8.30. Yeah, I woke up like an hour and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah, your boy slept in a little bit Just today. Just a little bit. Uh, I've been at work since 5 a.m. It is 8.30 p.m. now. Welcome home. Thank you. So it's my you... day off. <laughs> you ready to get started? I'm so ready. What do you know about Harry Houdini? I know that his name is in alliteration. That's two H's. Yeah. Harry Houdini. I'm pretty sure that's not his real name. It's not. Um, He died of stupid causes. And he jumped in a lake one time. Just once. Or maybe twice. I don't know. No, <laughs> for real though. He was like a magician, right? Like an escape artist and an yeah. illusionist. Um, I like Harry Houdini. You might know this about me, but I, I have a, I like magicians. You have a thing for magic? I have a thing for magic. Sparkly, twinkly, magic. I like uh, like close up magic the most, like card tricks and stuff. But also like I, you know, illusions are cool. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I know about Harold Houdini. Well, this podcast has nothing to do with Harry Houdini. Really? I'm just kidding. Oh, it actually has everything to do with Harry Houdini oh, okay. today. Because like, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> You're like, now we're going to talk. What do you know about Harry Houdini? Now we're going to talk about his brother. He Barry, has a brother. Barry Houdini. How did you know that? I'm smart. I'm just kidding. His brother's name was Theodore. Um, yeah. Theodore. What's the other one? What's the other brother? Simon. Nathan. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My turn. All right. You go ahead. Harry Houdini was born as Eric, sometimes seen with a K, sometimes with a C-H. Um, Eric Wise, I think that's how you pronounce it, don't come for me, on March 24th, 1874. Harry Houdini was um, a Hungar Hungarian-born American illusionist and a stunt performer made famous by his escape acts. Ooh. Um, so he was born in Budapest to a Jewish family. His parents were Rabbi Mayor Samuel Weiss and Cecilia Steiner. Steiner? I would say Steiner because of the Steiner brothers. That would make sense. Yeah. Um, Houdini was one of seven children. Um, seven? Seven. Which one? Do we know? Uh, he's one of the older ones. Oh, okay. Not what I expected. Uh, his He had a brother named Nathan Gottfried. Sorry, bro. Uh, Theodore Leopold. Herman and Carrie. And Alvin. Nope. And Simon. Stop it. Um, the family arrived in the United States on July 3rd, 1878 with his mother and four brothers. The family lived in Appleton, Wisconsin, um, where his father served as a rabbi of the Zion Reformed Jewish Congregation. According to the 1880 census, the family lived in Appleton Street in that area, and that area is now known as Houdini Square. Oh, nice. Got a street after, named after you in Appleton, Wisconsin. That's the big leagues. Yeah, you really. 
throwing it down for them, Wisconsin. I'm just saying. They changed the street named after their town to name it after him. I'm assuming that's what that, or maybe, uh, you know what? I didn't look too much into it. Um, I looked to see if there was like anything cool in that area. Mm -hmm. It's fine. It's nothing special. We don't need to talk about it. So is it Appleton, Bananaton, Orangeton? Is it like just all fruit names in Wisconsin? I'm going to ignore that. Um, Eric's slash Harry his name's Eric at this point. Um, his dad lost his job in 1882, and so they moved to Milwaukee, where they fell into poverty, unfortunately. Okay. Um, so in 1887, they ended up moving to New York City, where they lived in a boarding house. And this is where Eric started taking like several jobs, like odd jobs here and there. But this is also where he would make his public debut as the nine-year-old trapeze artist. Oh, cool. Um, he called himself Eric, with a K, Prince of the Air. Very nice. Um, and so he also dabbled as a champion cross-country runner. While he was nine? In his youth. Oh, cool, man. Um, and then You know what? That makes a lot of sense, actually. Does it? Because he's probably like, he, he's like, super athletic. Well, he's athletic, and I feel like if you're a cross-country runner... It helps with your endurance, which yeah. endurance is like a big part of his thing, I'm pretty sure. It definitely is. Mm-hmm. And then as a teenager, he was coached by the magician Joseph Wren at the um, at a pastime athletic club. Joseph Wren? Yeah. Joseph Wren, the magician that no one's heard of. I don't know him either. <laughs> Good job training Houdini, buddy. Well, I was, I was just pointing out because like, he was a magician, so it's like his introduction into magic. Yeah, I know. I'm just, I was just making a joke. Like all magi- magicians, Eric needed a cool new name if he was going to be a professional performer. Right. Um, so Eric turned into Harry. Um, Harry claimed it was a, like an homage to Harry Keller, whom he had admired. Mm-hmm. Um, but others believe it was probably adapted from his nickname, Eric turned Harry turned Harry. That makes sense. Which is like, you know. Do we know who Harry Keller is? No. Just, I'm just curious. <laughs> and then Houdini comes from like an incorrect understanding that the I at the end of a name meant like in French. Um, and so he greatly admired the French magician. And I practiced this. Okay, let's hear it. Jean, Eugène, Robert, Houdin. Sounds perfect. Nobody come for me. Um, so Houdin turned into Houdini. Mm. So that's where Harry Houdini comes from. Wow, cool. So in 1891, Houdini began his magic career, but it didn't start off so great. Very little success in the beginning. He appeared in a tent act along with the strongman Emil Jarrow. Um, and then he would perform in dime museums and sideshows and even doubled as the wild man once at the circus. <laughs> That's funny. So He's a circus man. This is where I need you to ask me, what the fuck is the wild man act? Hold on. <clears throat> me, 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 me. <laughs> but baby, what's the Wild Man Act? All right. I'm glad you asked. Uh, this, the Wild Man Act, is Houdini in face paint with frazzled hair. And he was fed, sorry, fed raw meat by the ringmaster. Um, and then mm. he was able to use sleight of hand to make it appear that he was consuming cigarettes that were thrown into his cage by audience members. And then he would like later distribute them to his like fellow circus mates oh so people are throwing like not finished cigarettes like their whole cigarettes right like and he would slide of hand them to make it look like he was eating them and mm-hmm. then later he's the hookup on the yeah. six okay harry um but he quit doing that when he got hit in the face like in the eye with a piece of raw meat probably didn't feel too great no i guess not uh can't imagine meat being like very well kept. so do you think he was actually eating the meat yeah i'm sure he was gross you do what you can you do what you got to do. So Houdini began to focus on like traditional card tricks and he built himself as the king of cards. Ooh. Um, but some professional magicians would regard Houdini as like a competent but not entirely particularly skilled sleight of hand artist. Okay. Stating that he lacked the grace and finesse required to achieve excellence in the craft. That's people then saying that or that's people now saying that? Then saying that. Okay. Like I guess like, you know. Um, like his 
peers, I yeah. guess. His peers that no one's ever heard of. Yeah, yeah, like, I don't know. Right. Which, I mean, to be fair, he didn't really get famous for his card tricks. Did right. He? Well, like, in, like, little parentheses, I was like, kind of sounds like some pompous remarks to me. So, yeah. you know, like. I imagine it as, like, a community where they kind of eat their young. Yeah. You like, know? He's not doing so Maybe good with Not so much now, tricks. but definitely then, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. Anyway. So. It was also his time in the circus that he began practicing escape acts and like that really drew attention to him, especially when he started using like handcuffs. Yeah. And he got pretty good at being able to escape handcuffs. Yeah, I would say so. Um, So in either 1893 or 94, I saw conflicting dates, whatever. Harry was performing with his brother Dash, which is- Oh, I know this one. Do you? Yeah, they were the Houdini brothers. Right. Yeah. Well, they're the brothers Houdini. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Yet. Close well, though, right? Points well, for being close. Points for being close, but I am going to take away a half a point because they're out of order. Okay. Okay. Um. So they were performing on Coney Island. Houdini met a fellow performer, Wilhelmina Beatrice Rayner. Wilhelmina. <laughs> we'll call her Bess. Is that her nickname? That's her nickname. What was her whole name again? Wilhelmina Beatrice Rayner. Okay. I was just trying to see where Bess came from. I'm assuming Beatrice. Probably maybe. Beatrice. Okay. Um, initially, mm. she was being courted by Dash. Oh, scandal. But Houdini swooped in and married her instead. He sleight of handed her away from his brother. Oh, that was good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Bess pretty much replaced Dash, which is Theodore Houdini's brother. Simon Alvin. No, stop it. <laughs> and they would be, like be known as like the Houdinis. Okay, so wait a minute. She basically yokoed their act. Yes. Oh, damn. So like Dash isn't with them anymore. Right. It didn't seem to like cause like any Like kind a of... rift? Yeah, there's like no rift. It's Maybe... just like it didn't work out with Dash. Maybe I don't know. Dash is like, finally, God, I'm so sick of this. <laughs> Fucking be just it. Just want to go back to Milwaukee and do normal <laughs> shit. <laughs> It was like, uh, I think Dash ended up like taking over some of uh, Houdini's like tricks and stuff after he passed. So it didn't seem like there was like a real issue there. Oh, okay. Between... So he continued being like a magician on his own. Yeah. Oh, shit. I didn't look too much into Theodore. I should have. I didn't. Okay. He, he, he pops up a little bit later. Dash Houdini. Dash Houdini. Interesting. Okay. But for the rest of Houdini's performing career, Bess was his assistant. Okay. His assistant stop it yeah um houdini's big break would come in 1899 when he would meet a manager named martin beck in saint paul minnesota saint paul minnesota minnesota um he was impressed by houdini's handcuff acts um yeah he was see okay hold on just okay just a little side note (laughs) okay Everyone's so impressed, like with like the handcuff acts and like the being tied up thing. Uh-huh. Like, maybe some of these people have like some closeted kinks going on. Yeah, and they're not willing to talk about it publicly. Maybe it wasn't so closeted. Oh, wink, wink. All right. Anyway, back to anyway. Back, back, back to my notes. <laughs> back to the notes. Um, Martin would advise Houdini to concentrate on escape acts and. He ended up booking him at the, I think, I didn't look this one up, Orpheum Vaudeville Circuit. Okay. And this was a big deal because the Vaudeville Circuit was like a huge string of theaters, which like would, you know, get him known. So like within months of that, Harry Houdini was performing at the top of the Vaudeville houses in the country. And Martin was also the one to help arrange Houdini to tour Europe. Oh, wow. Yeah. So Europe was a rough start. But after a string of unsuccessful interviews in London, he got an interview at the Alhambra Theater where he gave a demonstration to escape handcuffs in Scotland Yard. Oh, cool. Um, Harry was known as Harry Handcuff Houdini. um, And then he would challenge the police to keep him locked up. Uh, this would include a local police to strip search him. Harry gets naked a lot, actually. I actually, I saw this on a Harry Houdini documentary, actually. Yeah, he gets naked a lot. Um, place him in shackles and lock them in his jails or okay. their jails. 
he succeeded in baffling the police so effectively that he was able to book his show at that theater for the next six months. That's crazy. And Just book it naked, hit Houdini. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I was driving by the local police station the other day, and I swear I saw somebody's bare ass climbing out of the window. Right. <laughs> His show was like an immediate hit. Mm-hmm. His salary was $300 a week. Wow. And I adjusted that for inflation. He was making $9,414.72 a week. A week. Jesus, man. And he was considered the highest paid performer during that Ever. time. Like, during that time. <laughs> that was, like, a huge deal. That's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. I mean, like, I don't know how much people make, like, a week now, like, entertainers and stuff. Probably a lot. Probably a little but, bit more than that. But, like, for that damn, time, that was a big deal. For a magician, big deal. Even for now, that would be, a, like, after inflation, I mean, like, that's a big deal. That's a <laughs> yeah, lot of scratch. That's a lot of scratch. I could have some uses for that. I'm just saying, if I, ever, if I made $9,000 a week... Don't call. Don't write. I'm, I'm, I'm living. <laughs> I'm busy. Yeah, I'm busy. Um, so between 1900 and the 1920s, he would appear in theaters all over Great Britain performing escape acts, illusions, card tricks, and outdoor stunts. And he would become the world's highest paid entertainer. Amazing. He also toured the Netherlands, Germany, France, Russia, and he wildly became known as like the handcuff king. The um, handcuff king. Yeah. See, if he'd have made it to retirement, he could have opened a store where he sold handcuffs, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Houdini would also he would go to each city, challenge the local police to restrain him and uh, with shackles and lock them in their jails, just like he did in Scotland Yard. Mm-hmm. Um, in many of these escape challenges, he was stripped nude like he was before. Mm-hmm. Um, one particular uh, escape in Moscow he escaped from a Siberian prison transport van, claiming that had he been unable to free himself, he would have had to travel all the way back to Siberia, where the only key was kept. Wow. So after that, he continued his act in the United States, um, but he's always upping the ante. Right. I mean, you kind of have to, well, right? Yeah. So like you go from handcuffs to straitjackets. Soon to like chains, being slung from skyscrapers by ropes, um, hanging out underwater. Yeah. A notable act that I'm going to touch on later was him having to escape and hold his breath, like his breath inside a sealed milk can with water in it. And he would eventually have to escape nailed packing crates. Yeah. His success in these escapes were attributed to his like uncanny strength and his ability to like pick locks. I bet you he had like, this is going to sound weird, but I don't know of another way to say it, but he probably had like really good finger strength, right? Like yeah. Like he had strong hands, I bet. Houdini was jacked. Yeah. Every picture that I've seen of him, like getting out of the water, he is buff. Yeah. Like, hello, Houdini. Hello, Houdini. Yeah. No, yeah, I get that. I mean, he probably had to be in good shape. Oh yeah, especially like if yeah if you're holding your breath for a long time. Well, that his strength would like come into like play later when he like almost drowned. Yeah. Well, also it doesn't hurt if you're in cold water. You know, you can hold your breath a lot longer. Can you? Yeah. I had no idea. The temperature of the water cools your body. Your body requires less oxygen. You know, I found that out today. What was I reading? Oh, about turtles. <laughs> Well, like, that's why if you pull someone out of the water and you think that they're dead. They might not be. And they might not be. Mm. There's actually a phrase that, if I don't know if you ever heard it, but you're not dead until you're warm and dead. I have heard that. That's what that means. Wow. Because there are people who have, like, drowned. They've been underwater for, like, a while. 20 minutes. Yeah. They pull them out of the water. They, they bring them back. Not, not as dead as you thought. Right. Okay. We both learned something. There you go. I am, That's I'm my in, contribution. I'm impressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, in 1912, his Hallmark Act, the Chinese Water Torture Cell, was debuted. And I'm going to talk about it later in depth, but I just want to touch on it right now. Houdini was suspended by his feet, lowered upside down in a glass cabinet filled with water. Mm-hmm. Um, this required him to hold his breath for more than three minutes to escape. And this performance was considered so daring and it became such a crowd pleaser that it remained in his act until his death in 1926. Mm. 
And I want to talk about some of his more notable ones. Okay. Lay it on me. I'm laying it on you. Okay. Houdini had, he was always being buried alive, right? So he had several variations of being buried alive um, over the course of his career. Um, the first one nearly killed him, honestly, truly, without question, actually. Um, in 1915, near Santa Ana, California, Houdini was buried in a pit of earth six feet deep, sans casket, so just him and earth. Yeah. He became exhausted and ended up panicking while trying to dig himself out, and he had to call for help. But they could hear him, so that's cool. Yeah, well, when he broke the surface, he fell unconscious and had to be pulled up from the grave by his assistants. Wow. Um, he wrote in a diary that he kept he wrote in a diary that he kept that the escape was very dangerous and the weight of that amount of earth is killing. Yeah, you think? That's why you like started being buried in a casket. Um, okay, so his second variation was like an endurance test to expose the mystical Egyptian performer Raman Bey. Uh-huh. Um, he claimed to use supernatural powers to remain in a sealed casket for more than an hour. Okay. Because apparently he can't do that. Houdini bested Raman on August 5th, 1926 by remaining in a sealed casket and submerged in a swimming pool in a New York hotel Shelton for one and a half hours. No trickery or supernatural powers, just controlled breathing. Wow. And he That's was great. Wait. Okay, never mind. No, go ahead. No, I got you. I'm there. I was about to ask a question, but then the words like arranged themselves correctly and I got what you're saying. So continue. Okay, um, he was able to repeat this act again at a YMCA in Worcester, Massachusetts on September 28th. And that time he held his breath for, um, or controlled his breathing for an hour and 11 minutes. That is crazy. I, I, I couldn't do that just because like the sealed casket and that doesn't seem great, but. Yeah. Not for me. His third variation never quite made it to the stage as he had set up like an elaborate stage escape for like a full evening show uh-huh um houdini would escape after being strapped in a straitjacket, sealed in a casket and buried in a large tank filled with sand wow um there is a poster advertising the escape that exists that refers to his 1915 version of the escape by boasting egyptian fakers outdone it was meant to feature a bronze casket and was set to premiere the next year after he died mm-hmm Unfortunately, he did die, and instead they used the casket to transport Houdini's body from Detroit to New York following his death. Like a big bronze casket? Mm-hmm. Wow. So, I mean- Riding it, in style. At least it got some use out of it. It didn't go to waste, I yeah. guess. Fair. Um, so, moving on. Okay. One of Houdini's most famous publicity stunts was- to escape from a nailed and roped packing crate after it had been lowered into water. This particular stunt really made the media take him more seriously as a performer. Uh-huh. Um, he first performed the escape in the New York's East River on July 7th, 1912. He wasn't allowed to use one of the piers, so he had to hire a tugboat where he invited all the press on board. Oh, nice. So all the press got like a first hand or like a first row. Yeah. Exceeding to this escape act. Bold. Yeah. Houdini was locked in a pair of handcuffs and leg irons, standard issue by the police at the time, mm-hmm. uh, nailed into the crate and roped up, um, and then weighed down with 200 pounds of lead. Okay. Um, the crate was then lowered into the water, and Houdini was able to escape in 57 seconds. Wow. The, uh, the crate was then pulled to the surface and found to be intact with the manacles still inside. He would go on to perform this particular escape many times and even performed a version on stage. How'd he do it? Um, so the escape was made in the same manner that like most stage tricks are done in which like you slip out out behind like a curtain or a screen. Yeah. So immediately after Houdini got into the trunk, he would begin working on his handcuffs and leg cuffs or like, like leg irons. Right. And he was usually free of them by the time they even like began to tie the box up. Yeah, makes sense. Um, after the box was lowered into the water, Houdini would slip out of an unnailed panel uh-huh. and make his escape. Uh, this was particularly important for Bess to be there because she knew which side the box. Right. Was. I feel like that's the thing that people don't also 
realize sometimes that the assistant played a big part in like the yeah. tricks and stuff. So like on one occasion, Houdini talks about how the trunk sank too fast and he got stuck on the muddy bottom, like the muddy bottom panel side down. Oh no. Yeah. He was able to force the panel because he was so strong um, through the sticky mud, but he barely escaped drowning. Wow. He said in the diary that it gave him a lesson and therefore he made it a point to have the panel open before, before it reached sank. the bottom. Gotcha. Um, because sometimes that way like he would be out and it would shift back into place right. before like anybody could like see it. Yeah. Wow. So the essential point in this performance was to have an assistant, Bess, who saw it all, who would like control the roping. I would make sure like it wasn't impossible to move the panel. Right. I thought that was cool. Like if you didn't know how it was like done. No, that is really cool. In 1908, Houdini, 1908. 1908, Houdini introduced his first original act, the milk can escape. Um, Houdini was handcuffed inside. The and milk can escape what? I wish you could see the look she gave me. Anyway, I'm sorry. Houdini was handcuffed and sealed inside an oversized milk can, much like Billy will be after this show. <laughs> it was filled with water, and he made his escape from behind a curtain. As a part of the dramatic effect, Houdini would invite members of the audience to hold their breath along with him while he was inside the can. After a minute or so, many of the audience members would have to take a breath, and after three, they were all just freaking out. Wow. You know what? You want to make it more dramatic, fill it with milk. <laughs> um, dramatic posters that proclaimed failure meant a drowning death. Meanwhile, he had already escaped the milk can from behind a curtain. He, they, uh, There was one like interview documentary that I was watching where he would be reading the newspaper from like behind the stage and they had to tell him to stop turning the pages so loudly because the audience could hear him. <laughs> That's funny. I'm just picturing him like with his leg crossed, like reading Soaking the paper, wet. smoking a cigarette, you know. But he would read the newspaper and like he he would stay in the milk can for as long as he needed to to finish whatever he was reading. Oh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, geez. <laughs> they're the audience is starting to freak out. Houdini's reading a newspaper. <laughs> awesome. Um, eventually, Houdini would modify that escape to include the milk can being locked inside a wooden chest, chained and padlocked. Um, and it was a regular part of his act for the better part of four years. His brother would continue to perform the milk can escape after his death. And the American Museum of Magic has the actual milk can and the overboard box used by Houdini. Um, I'm sorry, the American Museum of Magic? Yeah. Where's that at? I didn't look it up. I'm looking it up. Okay. <laughs> There's a Houdini Museum museum in uh, Scranton. Yeah. Scranton, Pennsylvania? Yeah. Ooh. Um, so another fun fact about the, um, that particular escape was that Houdini claimed the act was copyrighted and actually took an imitator to court over the matter. Really? Yeah. Oh, in the milk crate one? Oh, that's why his brother waited till he died to do it, or what? <laughs> no, I don't think it was a different person. Oh. <laughs> it's in Michigan, Marshall, Michigan. Marshall, Michigan. Wow. So, so he sued someone over his milk can thing. Yeah, but like really, in the milk can, it was falsely riveted. He was really never like submerged underwater at all. Well, you know what I like is that he added things to the trick that really just made it. Gave him more time to Yeah, escape. to just do whatever. Yeah, because I was thinking about it, you know, like they tied the outside of a nailed box. Yeah. He, Why would you do that? Yeah, well, Houdini was really the one for theatrics, I think, and it really sold the show, I think. They're like, they nailed it and they tied it? He's and they gonna... padlocked it? Yeah. And he's inside a milk crate? Meanwhile, he's done already. He's just like, okay, guys, submerge me in the water. I'm ready to get out of this box. <laughs> <laughs> he's just doing the crossword puzzle in the back. Yeah. So... Houdini would introduce straitjackets into his act eventually. He would be suspended from his ankles from mm -hmm. a tall building or crane. Mm -hmm. um, and then Houdini would escape in full view of an assembled crowd. 
Houdini could draw tens of thousands of people. I imagine. On the street, just on looking. Um, and would often bring city traffic to a halt. So wow. I'm sure they love that. Yeah. Especially, can you imagine the honking in New York if everybody's just stopping to watch Houdini? Watch this, yeah, Houdini. Which I don't know what traffic was like in, you know, that time. but Probably not as bad, but maybe still pretty bad. Well, I can just imagine. We There was like not even half of our population then, so. See, there's like horses and things. What What year was it? 1908? I don't have a year for this one. I'm pretty sure that they were they still had horses. He yeah. just did this. He just did this a lot, so there's not really like a year I can put on it. I'm really certain horses were still used in like World War 1, which was 19 like 16, 17, right? Sure. Um or that might have been the end, towards okay. the end. But anyway. Okay. Yes, horses. <laughs> anyway, he would halt traffic. Um sometimes Houdini would ensure press coverage by performing the escape directly on the local newspaper building. He knows how to get the word out. Yeah. Um, so in New York City, Houdini performed the stunt on a crane being used to build a subway. Okay. Um, the article I read said it flung his body up in the air, but I think that's rather dramatic. Um, it probably just lifted him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, the crane would raise his body into the air and he would escape from the straitjacket starting from when he was hoisted up into the air um, by the crane to the, when the straitjacket was taken off of him completely. took a total of two minutes and 37 seconds. Okay. Um, there is actually film footage of this in the Library of Congress and it is also shown at the Houdini Museum in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, 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 um. After being battered, I battered against the wall during high winds one day though he did add a visible safety wire so he could be pulled away from the building if necessary okay that makes sense yeah um so the idea for this stunt is credited to a young boy named randolph osborne douglas all right tell me about randolph well this episode is not about randolph okay i just wanted to give him credit okay but do you have the story of when he suggested it no okay i don't good job randolph I just wanted to tell. It was a young boy. His name was Randolph. His name was Randolph. He liked Houdini. He That's said, hey, who, hey, Harry. Oh, my God. I got a trick for you. <laughs> anyway. Um, And lastly, prop. Oh, well, they said this is his most famous escape, but I think that the story with the elephant's a lot more fun. Which one do you want to hear first? Which one? What order do you have it in? I have Chinese water torture cell and then the elephant. Okay, do it that. Do that. Okay. Uh, the Chinese water torture cell, as previously mentioned, mm -hmm. Houdini's feet were locked in stocks. He was lowered upside down into a tank filled with water. The cell was made out of mahogany and metal and featured a glass front so you could see Houdini clearly. The stocks were locked to the top of the cell and a curtain would conceal his escape. He turned this escape... Oh, sorry. He turned this escape into an audience for one, calling it a one-play act called Houdini Upside Down. And he did this so he could copyright the effect, which gave him grounds to sue imitators. Interesting. Like, which he did previously. Yeah. He performed this act from 1912 up until his death in 1926. Now, do you think that if people came to him and they're like, hey, Harry, I like this. I want to do it, but I'm going to make like this change to it. That would have been different than if they just straight up copied it. Or do we think Houdini's like kind of a trick hoarding kind of guy? Well, I don't know if he's so much as like trick hoarding. But like he came up with them. I'm like, yeah, for sure. You don't want people just stealing your shit that you worked hard on. That's why I think he like, quote unquote, copyrighted these things. I'm just saying like, how do you think it works? In like the magic community, if you is it like is it like comedy where if you take a com another comedian's jokes, it's like the worst thing you can do, right? I would imagine. <clears throat> I really don't know like the bylaws. Of I mean, other than magician like, brotherhood, probably chip. being a, telling racist jokes is probably worse than stealing jokes. But at that yeah. point, you mean like I who's mean, laughing? Anyway, I, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure Harry Houdini liked to collect things. So I can imagine that him collecting his own tricks is among like the things that he liked to collect. Okay, I got you. 
He's a collector. He's a collector. He likes to collect people. Okay. This was my favorite thing that I've read about Houdini thus far. Okay. Um, it's when he made an elephant disappear. Okay. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm so ready. I'm so excited because I, I was so tickled I'm a little this. worried about the elephant, but. I also have the elephant's name. Okay. Elephant's name was Genie. What was the elephant's name? Genie. Genie. No. Okay, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, so on January 7th, 1918, Houdini performs his vanishing elephant illusion in the New York Hippodrome Theater. Hippodrome. The Hippodrome featured the world's largest stage, as well as a troop of trained elephants. The illusion called for only one huge cabinet, an elephant, and a team of 12 strongmen. Okay. Houdini would begin with the cabinet. He described it as about 8 feet squared, 26 inches off the floor, all parts of the cabinet were shown to the audience, and the elephant was walked inside. So it was a cabinet, an elephant-sized cabinet. Yes. Okay. Um, once inside, the doors were shut and the curtains were closed. And once reopened, the cabinet was empty and the uh, elephant had vanished. Ooh. Just to kind of go into how he was able to do that was the Hippodrome's size made it easy for Houdini to underestimate the size of his cabinet. Um, which was about eight feet high and could not have possibly housed a five-ton, eight-foot-tall elephant. Obviously. Obviously. So the size of the theater made the cabinet appear much smaller than it actually was. Okay. Um, the theater's shape made it difficult for most people to look through the elephant cabinet. Through the elephant cabinet. <laughs> um, so it kind of formed like a semicircle. Okay. Um, so it's like forced perception yeah. or perspective? So like the downstairs spectators formed a semicircle while the balcony patrons um, had the top of the cabinet view cut off for them. And patrons sitting um, like in front saw like a slightly like oblong view of the cabinet. So everyone was like missing a part of okay. the cabinet. Yeah. When Houdini would spread the front curtain and open the back doors... They're basically moving the elephant in the cabinet based on, like, who could see it. I see. Causing the elephant to vanish. Gotcha. And he was, like, using, like, sugar cubes to get the elephant to move back and forth. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So the elephant was, like, back there, but nobody could see it because they put him in the one spot that none of the people could see. Right. In the hippodrome. In the hippodrome. Interesting. That's also the headquarters of the foot clan and shredder is it okay no i'm just kidding i was That's like the technodrome <laughs> <laughs> um so that's really cool i thought it was so cool so like do, Derek, how much do you think you had to practice that and like probably a lot like look at the angles and shit because they had one it's this huge cabinet filled with a five-ton elephant yeah it took 12 strong men to turn the cabinet and the whole act took seven to eight minutes yeah meanwhile how do you keep an elephant from freaking the fuck out like and be quiet yeah interesting i thought that was so cool I it just... is really cool i feel kind of bad for the elephant but you know yeah so okay so when harry wasn't escaping milk cans with uh nailed shut boxes um thanks to his wealth he was able to indulge in other passions like aviation and film uh-huh. Um, he even wrote a few books. Okay. Um, he purchased his first plane in 1909 and set out to become the first person to man a controlled power flight over Australia. Ooh. Did he um, do it? They said he he did do it. However, they said he missed it by a few months as somebody else did it. Oh, just no. Just like three months prior that he did it. Oh, okay. But, you know, word travels not as fast as it did does that's now. fair can you imagine doing that and they're like oh actually actually somebody was here three months ago that did this it's yeah like, so like maybe he wasn't the first but he was the second he's like abraca goddamn <laughs> um houdini also launched a movie career he released his first movie in 1901 that movie documented his escapes interesting um he also starred in several subsequent films including the master mystery um the grant grim game and terror island in 1923, Houdini became the president of Martin Martinka and Co., which is America's ma oldest magic company. Nice. Um, he later wrote Miracle Mongers and Their Methods mm -hmm. and A Magician Among the Spirits. 
a magician. Among the spirit, did Houdini believe in like the supernatural? No, we're all going to talk about that in a second because he did spend time debunking psychics. Nice. I love Houdini. You might, you would probably like um, Miracle Mongers and their methods. Miracle Monger. Is that the, is that a movie? Ow. It's a book. It's a book. Ooh, I'm going to look that up. Thrift books. Amazon. Oh yeah, thrift books. All right, so um, later years, Harry Houdini would turn his time and energy towards debunking psychics and their and mediums. Houdini's training in magic allowed him to expose frauds who had success, successfully fooled many scientists and academics. That's like the one guy we talked about. Um, yeah, Harry Price. Yeah, he also had like experience mm-hmm. in stage magic. Yep. Okay. I'm pretty sure they knew each other. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'm not going to talk about it here, but... It makes sense. They're uh, uh, of the same time. Are you pretty sure they knew each other, or you know that they knew each other? I'm 97% sure that they knew each other. Okay. Wow. All right. So, Houdini was a member of the Scientific American Committee that offered a cash price to any medium who could successfully demonstrate supernatural abilities. Okay. The prize was never collected. Oh, makes sense. Weird. <laughs> um, Houdini also tested George Valentine of Pennsylvania, the same guy Harry Price did in our last episode. Uh-huh. Well, I think the last one that I did anyway. Houdini took to attending seances in disguise, accompanied by a reporter and a police officer. So, like, in the middle of the seance, he would be like, charlatan and the police would arrest them or like what i feel like the police was more like for houdini's protection oh that makes sense must be nice to like have been in a time where you could just spare police to go off with houdini and like like super casual can you imagine that's your job like hey man okay i've got to go follow houdini you clock in and they're like hey we're gonna have you dress in plain clothes and go with houdini to this seance like fuck yeah dude um so one uh seance that they attended was Joaquin Argamasilla. Okay. I looked it up. The double L is not a Y, um, but I still can't say it. So. Okay. Double L is not always a Y. Yeah. Okay. But AKA. <laughs> yeah. Let's get that at also known as. The Spaniard with x-ray eyes. Oh. So he was Spanish. Apparently. And the double L didn't make a Y sound. Nope. Wow. The, the mystery continues. Suspicious, I would think. Maybe it made him more mysterious to <laughs> his countrymen. Okay, so but he claimed to be able to read handwriting or numbers on dice through a closed metal box. Exactly. Um, He was exposed by Houdini as a fraud. Um, Houdini found him peeking through his simple blindfold. Mm -hmm. and He was able to lift up the edge of the box so he could look inside without others noticing. Wow. And no one noticed that but Houdini? Apparently. Because everybody else, though, is there to be fooled, right? Right. They're there because, like... They believe. They believe. It's like John Edwards. Did you ever watch John Edwards? No. Crossing over with John Edwards? The worst. (laughs) Anyway, sorry, go ahead. You basically bait people into telling you what you're telling them. That's why I want to go to, like, the French Quarter in different clothing and, like, get my fortune read. Yeah. And that way I can, like, know if they're cold reading me or if they're, like actually right and like you know me i love tarot cards yes but you also know that my approach to tarot cards is like it guides you to discover something about yourself right right Mm -hmm. it's like a conversation it's not like a mystical thing right anyway yeah you should totally do that see if you get different yeah no that's what i want to do no you're gonna like get just go to different people and see what happens yeah you get the one person like they I don't know. They're like, why are you dressed like that? That's They'll not- tell you the exact same thing. <laughs> Secretly, they recognized you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so not everyone was as big a fan as debunking mediums as Billy is. Oh, yeah. Was that a real sentence? It didn't feel like a real sentence. I get what you're trying to say. Not everyone is as big of a fan of debunking mediums as I am. Thank you. Boom. Words are hard. It's okay. You know, you've been talking like 52 minutes. Things start getting jumbled. I've been there. I know. These activities would cost Houdini the friendship of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, no. I know. Not the lost world. I know. Doyle was a firm believer in spiritualism during his later years, refusing to believe any of Houdini's exposés. He's also the Sherlock Holmes guy, right? Yeah. Did he write the lost world? Anyway. 
Continue. Doyle came to believe that Houdini was a powerful spiritualist medium and had performed many of his stunts by the means of paranormal abilities and was using these abilities to block those of the other mediums that he was debunking. So he thought Houdini, hold on, sorry. He thought Houdini was using his powers yeah. to block the other mediums? Yes. Like intentionally? Yes. <laughs> okay, Conan. <laughs> this disagreement led to the two men becoming public antagonists. And <laughs> <laughs> He's got... Oh, man. It kind of sounded like Sir Arthur was losing it towards the end. Maybe. Um, and then came to view Houdini as like a dangerous enemy. And that was like a whole thing. Jesus Christ. I love that he had beef with the Sherlock Holmes guy. Yeah, like, like of course he did. <laughs> like, how how hardcore was that beef? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Anyway. Okay. It's about to get a little bit sad. Okay. You ready? Yeah, I guess. I didn't know there was going to be sadness. Well, he dies. I mean, like, death doesn't have to be sad. Okay, well, it doesn't have to be sad. Okay. It's kind of sweet. Let's celebrate Houdini's and a little sad. life. Okay, anyway. <laughs> uh, before Houdini died... He and his wife agreed that if Houdini found it possible to communicate after death, he would communicate the message Rosabelle believes, a secret code that they had agreed to use beforehand. That only they knew about. That only they knew about. Okay. Um, but Rosabelle is their favorite song. Um, Bess would hold yearly seances on Halloween for the next 10 years after Houdini's death because he died on October 31st. Oh, he died on October 31st? Yes. Damn. Right? I know great day to die isn't it also supposed to be like when the veil between the living and the dead are the thinnest around that time period right i think so anyway i should know more about that anyway um she did claim that to have been contacted through an author forward in 1929 but later recanted that believing that the incident had been faked and that the code seemed to have been such that could have been broken by using clues uh-huh. So like Rosabelle was their favorite song, etc. And evidence alluding to that effect was discovered by Ford's biographer after he died in 1971. So it seems to be like maybe it was in fact faked. Who's Ford? Author Ford was the person who Arthur the medium. Ford. Oh got it, got it, got yeah. it. Got it. Okay, sorry. In 1936, after one unsuccess the last unsuccessful seance on the roof of the Kickerbocker Hotel. Bess put out the candle that she had kept burning beside a photograph of Houdini for the past six years. And in 1943, she said, 10 years is long enough to wait for any man. Um, but there is still a tradition for holding a seance for Houdini. Do you the, think they do it at the Houdini Museum in Scranton? Sometimes they do. Um, and they also, sometimes they'll also do it in the place where he lived. Uh-huh. In Houdini Square. You mean in Appleton, in Wisconsin? Appleton, Wisconsin. Wow. I was just trying to avoid uh, saying Wisconsin again. Why? Because I cannot say it. Wisconsin. Wis- nope. Wisconsin. You've said it correctly every time you've but said it. But now that I'm thinking about it, I can't do it. Wix- Wisconsin. Wisconsin. There you go. <gasps> you did it. I did it. She did it. Okay. Harry Houdini died of a ruptured appendix at 1.26 p.m. October 31st. 1926, in room 401 at the Detroit's Grace Hospital at the age of 52. 52? I didn't realize he had lived that long. Still pretty young. I mean, it is really young, but I thought he was way younger when oh, he died. Yeah. Um. So they believe that he would have recovered, but his last words before dying were reportedly, I'm tired of fighting. I do not want to fight anymore. Wow. Damn, Houdini. Others believe that an incident in Houdini's dressing room in the Princess Theater in Montreal, um, where a student had repeatedly struck Houdini's abdomen, uh-huh. um, the student asked Houdini whether it was true that punches in the stomach did not hurt him. Houdini offered a casual reply that his stomach could endure a lot, um, and then at some point, the student thought it was a good idea to just completely pummel him yeah. in the tummy. Pummel tummy. Pummel tummy. <laughs> but he ended up getting like some very like strong punches in the abdomen. And at that time, he was reclining on a couch because he had broken his ankle while performing several days earlier. So Houdini 
talked a lot about being able to take like punches and stuff and like people would often punch him right mm -hmm. he was usually able to contract his stomach to like harden but he wasn't ready he wasn't ready and he was reclined on the couch yeah so he was vulnerable so while he was being punched in the stomach repeatedly by a college kid yeah elderly abuse yeah <laughs> they said that he was like wincing in pain and like he didn't have enough time to prepare for the uh punches so to speak um and that had his ankle not been broken he probably would have risen like been able to like get up off the couch and like you know handle himself better yeah um so throughout that evening houdini's in great pain not feeling great um and then that night he wasn't unable to sleep and he remained in constant pain for the next two days but did not seek medical help which did not help him at all no usually it doesn't just go to the hospital um so when he finally saw a doctor he was uh he had a fever of 102. wow um and he had acute appendicitis he was advised to have immediate surgery but ignored that advice and decided to go on to the go on with the show when Houdini arrived at the Garrick Theater in Detroit, Michigan on October 24th, he had a fever of 104. Jeez. And despite his diagnosis, Houdini took the stage. He reportedly passed out, was revived and continued, but he did end up going to the hospital. So they told him, you have appendicitis. You have appendicitis. He also had something, Um, I cannot, I don't remember the exact name that he had. He died. His cause of death was this secondary to appendicitis. We talked about this. Yeah. Whatever it was caused um, like soreness or like inflamed area. So he probably didn't even feel like the appendicitis happening. It was peritonitis. Yep. Peritonitis. Yeah. It caused by a ruptured appendix. Right. Um, so... Snope says it is unclear whether the incident in the dressing room has any direct cause on Houdini's death. But as the relationship between blunt trauma to an already inflamed appendix is uncertain. However, I'm going to go ahead and put this out there. It probably didn't help. No, I, I can't imagine that it helped. Like maybe his appendix was going to burst anyway. But um, being punched in the appendix? Probably didn't help. Um maybe sped things up yeah. but the real cause of death was you have appendicitis you need to I'm go gonna to the go, hospital i'm gonna go i'm perform gonna go anyway. perform anyway because like when you have appendicitis your appendix is just waiting to burst you're pretty much on borrowed time at that point anyway and then the appendix burst which caused the peritonitis which is basically your intestines leaking into your body yeah so you know you don't typically you get septic pretty fast yeah for what it's worth Houdini's insurance company concluded that the death was in fact due to the dressing room incident and paid double what they were supposed to. Okay. Because um, I guess if it's an accident, they'll pay double your life insurance policy. Oh. Yeah. So since it was caused by that, it was an accident. Because I think basically what it was saying was because he was punched in the stomach, it caused quote-unquote caused his ruptured appendix yeah. therefore it was an accident and not him neglecting to go to the doctor against medical advice right. which probably would not have helped his life insurance right right okay so houdini's funeral was held on november 4th 1926 in new york with over 200 sorry 2000 mourners in attendance he was laid to rest in a cemetery in glendale queens Okay. Um, and it's actually really pretty if anyone's interested in that kind of thing like I am. The crest of the Society of American Magicians is inscribed on his gravesite along with a bust, um, which they said was rare because in Jewish cemeteries, apparently you're not supposed to have those. Oh, really? That's what I read. Interesting. I didn't look too much into that as to why, but in Jewish cemeteries, you're not supposed to have that. I'm going to have to look that up. The gravesite is actually kept up by a group with the self-name Houdini Commandos. They're from the Houdini Museum in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Um, Houdini's widow, Bess, died of a heart attack on February 11th, 1943 at the, age, at the age of 67. She had expressed a wish to be buried next to her husband, but instead was laid to rest in a different cemetery as her Catholic family refused to allow her to be buried in a Jewish cemetery. That's fucked up. Which really made me so sad. 
that's the thing too though like that's a bad i feel like that's just a bad family like her wishes weren't honored after her death that's like the most fucked up thing you can do to someone which is why it's very important just see it on my soapbox real quick Uh uh-huh to have your last will and testament like known and ready to go yeah should probably do that I'm giving him a look right now. You guys can't see it, but there's a finger out. It's yeah. the finger of doing things. That's the doing things finger. Yeah. Um, that's all I pretty much have. Wow. I do have like a quick side antidote. I didn't know where to put this in in my notes, but I okay. thought it was just like a um like a little bit of happiness maybe we could end on. Okay, lay it on me. Okay, so Harry Houdini with his newfound wealth uh-huh. at some point in his life was able to purchase a dress that was said to have been made for Queen Victoria. He arranged a grand reception where he presented his mother and that dress to all of his relatives. And he said that was the happiest day of his life. That's sweet. I know. What a good son. It was so sweet. He loved his mama. Harry Houdini loved his mama. You heard it here first. Houdini was able to purchase a house um, in 1904 for 25 grand Mm -hmm. Um, that's nearly three quarters of a million dollars in today's standards um and i believe that house is in queens can you imagine being being able to buy like just a nice ass house in queens for twenty five thousand dollars? yeah crazy man that part like warmed my heart a little sappiness there at the end that is a nice like uh palate cleanser from Bess Houdini's family completely disregarding her wishes to be buried next to her husband. You know, yeah. that's fucked up. It's fucked up. We should start a petition to move her. Well, that's not on me. There's like a whole <laughs> thing about like, uh, I mean, like somebody I- wanting to like dig up or exhume Harry Houdini for some reason. I don't remember why. Because he made the ultimate escape from death, and he's actually <laughs> not in the box. <laughs> he's like he's down. Florida. Yeah. <laughs> for my last trick. And for my last escape. <laughs> death. I will escape the grave. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> Big stretch. Oh, excuse me. Ooh. All right. Well, that's all I have. Um, I do have like a list of sources we can pluck somewhere on a social media website page. Okay. But if we're doing sources now, it's. I'm going to look really bad because I usually have like two sources. I have one, two, three, five. There's some cool things out there on Houdini. Like, I didn't did touch Did you hear them. that flex? <laughs> there are some cool things out there on Harry Houdini. I suggest you guys go look at them up because they're fucking cool as hell. Go look at the uh, the video of him doing things. Doing stuff. There's pictures on the internet. They're really cool. You can see how buff his Go look is. at his abs. I'm sorry. You know I'm a leg girl. He got some legs. Um, sorry. I'm not mad. Got nice legs. He's got nice legs. I'm just saying. Hot for Houdini. Put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Hot for Houdini. I'm here for it. Here's just a uh, Felicia's episode. It's an hour and ten minutes of her just gushing over. Of her Harry just Houdini. drooling over Houdini. Okay. Well, I'm embarrassed. So that's it. <laughs> I like it. Now I want to go look at Houdini's legs. Cause oh, like, can we do that? I want some, you know, <laughs> I need some sugar in my tea too. You know what I'm saying? Give me that sweet, sweet Houdini. Anyway. Okay. Well, well, the story is he's buff. Things got weird at the end. Her face is very red. It's hilarious <laughs> and adorable. Um, Yeah, I guess that's it. You can check us out. We have a link tree now. It's linktr.ee slash OOPP. Um, you can find us, as always, at our website, www.ouroddpodpodcast.com. Our sidebar has basically all the links from the link tree. Yeah. Oh, if you're still here, if you could rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, that would be so fucking great. Yes. We have a patron now, so we're doing Patreon things, okay, which in- yeah, That's includes... Um, recording bonus content little mini-sodes for our patrons uh where we might talk about something that we're interested in but wouldn't necessarily take a whole episode 
we also have like a postcard thing on our Patreon. So if you sign up for Patreon and you give us your address, we'll send you a postcard every month if that's something you're into. We're going to try to work with some of our artist friends maybe. Yeah, that's and, something we want to do. Uh, but anyway. We're still working out all the stuff for that. So just be patient with us. We're, we're working out the kinks, things. but we are doing things. And we're excited about it. Yeah, this train's moving, so jump on board. <laughs> that was lame. No, it wasn't. Anyway. People like trains. And you know what? Yeah, who likes trains? People. Train <laughs> enthusiasts. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, uh, I guess that's it. That's it. So, as always, we, we are, are the, the Boneses, Boneses, and we, we are out. out.